Hey everybody, Happy New Year. It's great to talk to you. This is Brian, pastor at Mount Hope's Belmont Campus in Belmont, Massachusetts. As you'll hear, the sermon this week was delivered by Pastor Marvin Thomas, one of the pastors on staff at Mount Hope. He does a fantastic job starting us off in the new year. Our sermon series for this month is called The Best Thing You Will Do This Year. And over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about some important things that we can do to grow deeper in our walk with Jesus Christ. I hope that you will listen closely because I believe that God has something that he wants to say to you. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's always a pleasure for myself and Jen to be here worshiping with the Belmont campus. It's not often that I get to do this, so it's always it's a privilege. We're thrilled to be here with you, to worship with you, and just to be able to share the word with you. Before I uh, continue, I have a quick question for you. How many of you were confused by that video? Quite a few. How many use social media? Let's see. Throw throw those hands. Okay. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. You're familiar. Some of you are looking, going, what is going on? What is he selling? What is he up here doing? Um, Don't worry. It'll get clear as, as we go through. I want to talk today, um, this morning, Pastor Brian introduced our new series. Every year, as we begin the year, we have a way of starting the year with a new series, and we kind of lay out what what to do, what we're we're going to be about this year. This year, our first series of the year is called The Best Thing You Will Do All Year. Every day, there are millions and millions of users on all, these face, on all these social media sites, if you look at Facebook or you look at Twitter or you look at Snapchat, there are millions of people who log in. And as many who log in and post something about themselves. If you're on Facebook, you're posting a status or you're tweeting if you're on Twitter or you're Snapchatting or you're Instagramming. There are all these different ways that you can portray yourself. You can display what's going on in your life. I have a question for you. What you're seeing, is that real? What are we really looking at? One blogger, her name is Champo Baritone. She's a photographer from Bangkok, Thailand. She took on, she thought about this and decided, you know what, she's going to investigate this. And she came up with a few photographs that were just perfect. So um, let, me, let me show you a few and then we'll, we'll talk about them. There we go. See, often when we post on these sites, Baritone realized, as she did her research, she realized we post a very selected part of our lives. We curate it, we put filters on it, we crop it, we make it look perfect, and then we post it. But what she realized was so often people are posting a different identity of themselves. Sometimes people would, with their real life, versus what their on- online life looked very different. Well, we, sitting here, we find these pictures comical, but there is some element of truth as to why we're drawn to them. We're drawn to beauty. We all like what we see in a picture once it's been edited, once it's been filtered, and it's cropped. We're drawn to the perfect picture. We're drawn to the perfect song. We're drawn to the perfect musical piece. We're drawn to the perfect performer. We're drawn to the perfect athlete. We're drawn to the beauty of perfection. When we see something beautiful, we're automatically drawn. That's how we're wired as humans. 
And often we want to be that way. We want to be perfect so that we display that beauty too. We want to have the same talents and abilities and even the material possessions that all our idols have. We will often try to look like them. We'll adopt their lifestyles, their clothing styles. Well, these aren't necessarily bad. While sometimes we do that on a secular level, even in the church, we often find ourselves doing that. We look at a celebrity preacher or a pastor or a leader, and we want the same, we want to be used by God the same way that they are being used. We want to say have the same influence that they have, or we want to use, we want to use the same abilities that they have. These are not bad goals. We desire to do what God has called us to do. We want to live the life that God has called us to live. We want to accomplish great things. He wants us to influence people, and so we want to do that. A few years ago, when um, Jen and I, we moved up to Boston, we had just gotten married, and we packed up a U-Haul with just boxes. We moved up to our new apartment. We had no furniture. As newlyweds, On a budget, we decided, you know what, we need some office furniture. I'm starting seminary, so I need to get them ordered. I ordered them on Amazon. This is what we ordered. Great. We looked at the pictures online. We went to the store. They look great. Guess what showed up? (laughs) It does not look like the picture. There's a big sign on the box that says, some assembly required. You see, we're very much like that picture. There is this, and then there is that. The challenge for us today is to get from here to here. You see, often on that Instagram profile or on that Facebook picture, we see this. We hardly see this. The challenge is to get from here to here. So the question we have to deal with today is, how do we get from being a mess, being a collection collection of a box full of nuts and bolts and planks of wood and shelves and all these different pieces, and how do we get from there to here? We're just like that furniture sometimes, that piece of furniture we have some assembly required, labeled all over our lives. So the question you and I have to grapple with today as we're entering into this new series are what are the best things that I can do, especially over the course of this year, where I can go from this to this? What are those best things that I can work on? What are the best things that I can concentrate on to go from some assembly required to complete a project? And that's my challenge for the day. And I'm, as uh, my task here is to introduce the topic, and we'll talk about this more over the next few weeks. You see, in the society we live today, too often what matters is what's on the outside. The way we portray ourselves in, the, in public, that's why we put a, a lot of effort, we put a lot of thought into what goes out into our resume, what goes onto our profiles online, what we display of ourselves. You see, when we... Think about it, we realize that these mediums, our resume or our profiles, our online presence, is no longer a window into us, a window of who we are, but instead a billboard of what we want people to see. 
See, a window, when you look through, you see reality. A billboard can be manufactured. You can create whatever you want. In the world that we live in today, more often than not, what matters is that final shot, the final picture, the final piece of music where everything is perfect. There isn't much thought given to the cost paid to get there. It does not matter that some of these shots lack integrity. Some of these things cause a lot of inconvenience and pain to those around them. Or sometimes that these pictures were staged to look perfect. As long as it looks good from the outside, it's okay. What society does not consider too often is what happens on the inside. You hear phrases like, what happens behind closed doors? That's your business. No one else has a say in it. We even go as far as rejecting those people that say, you know what? You need to order your private life or you need to do things a certain way. We have a way of saying, no, no. Who are you to tell me how I should live on the inside? We don't pay much attention to our private lives. But scripture has a different approach. And today I want to take us through Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. This is Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 18. It will be up on the screens also. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. These are the words of Jesus, and he's talking, and he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive those, forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You may have picked up on a theme here in in this passage that I just read. 
that question we asked a little bit earlier, what are those best things that we can do? And here's what scripture says precisely and clear. The best things that you will do this year are the things that no one sees. Let me say that again. It's swept on the screens. The best things that you will do this year are those things that no one sees. You see, when Jesus is talking, he's talking to a people that know how to give, that know how to pray, that know how to fast. He's looking at them, but when he's talking to them, he's also talking to these Gentiles, these Pharisees, who had a way of making a show of everything that they did. When, some, when they gave, they would, they would make such a spectacle of it. Sometimes they would have drummers and they would have musicians surround them as they gave a few gold coins. Or when they prayed, they prayed these long, drawn-out prayers, and they would make a spectacle of what they were doing. When they were fasting, they would put ash on their faces. They would look all sickly so that people would know that they were fasting. You see, what they were doing were that they were erecting billboards saying, look at how devoted I am. And Jesus is looking at these people and saying, they have received their reward, and that's all they deserve. They've had their 15 minutes of fame, and that's what they deserve. That's all they'll get. But to the rest of us, to the rest of his audience, he's looking and he's saying, and any time Scripture repeats itself, or when someone is repeating themselves and they're saying the same thing over and over, we need to pay attention And Jesus says in this passage, he says it three times, and your father who sees it in secret will reward you. You see, when we have a way of doing things in our private life, when we do order our private life, when we do things that no one else sees, it's the father who notices. It's the father who rewards. You see, the Christian's foremost priority is not the public profile. It's what happens in their private world because God is more concerned about what is done in private than what is done publicly. Let me repeat that. The foremost priority is what happens in the private world for a Christian because God is more concerned with what happens in your private life than what is displayed publicly. So today, if you're going to have any meaningful experience, a meaningful influence on someone, it has to start with a disciplined private life. It has to start with the things we do on our daily walk with the Lord. It has to start with the daily personal time that we spend with Him. It has to start on the inside and work its way out. He is more concerned with what happens on the inside. See, the Christian's foremost priority It's the private life. Over the course of this month, we're going to be talking more in detail about how to order our private lives. We'll talk about disciplines along the way that will draw us closer to the plan that God has for us. But today the task is we're asking this question, why is our private life so important to God? Why does he watch it so carefully? Why should it be important to us? In 1898, while riding his horse through the deserts in New Mexico, James Larkin White, he saw a plume of bats. They're rising out of the desert hills, and it intrigued him, and it drew him. And so he got off his horse, uh, and then he went exploring into the brush. 
As he explored, he came up on this hole into the ground. And he writes this himself. He says, I found myself gazing into the biggest and blackest hole I had ever seen, out of which bats seemed to just literally boil out. What he found would later be known as the Carlsbad Caverns. You see, when we look at such beauty, we look at a cave like this and we're just in awe of what's in there. We're drawn to that beauty. We're drawn to that perfection. We realize that there has been a process, a process that God has put in place that has created it. You see, that Beauty did not come to existence the moment Jim, James, looked down that hole. It was already there. It was already there in the obscurity when no one knew it was there. We look at the Grand Canyon, or there's the Grand Canyon. We look at it, and we're just in awe of the beauty that's exhibited. We look at it and say, how did this happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process that God put into place. You see, God works in the obscurity of the moments that no one sees. In those caves, there were those tiny drops of water that kept building those formations. Over years and years, those drops put those minerals in place. They just kept depositing those minerals would form those formations. Or in the case of this Grand Canyon, there is a stream that just kept cutting into the rock. Year passes by, year passes by. That, that hole keeps getting bigger. And before you know it, you have something like this. God works in the obscurity of moments that no one sees. And when someone finally does discover it, what beauty is displayed? In the book of Exodus, real quickly, we'll go. We see a man named Moses. Moses was born, he was a Hebrew, he was born in Egypt. He was a Jew, he was one of the Israelites, he was born in Egypt, but he was born in a weird time. He was born in a time where the Israelites were captives, they were, they were slaves to the Pharaoh, they were slaves to the Egyptians. And he was born in a situation where his mother had to give him up, found by the, by the king's daughter, and now here's a kid, an Israelite child, who is being raised in the Pharaoh's palace. Scripture records it that he spent 40 years in the palace. He was adopted into the family of the Pharaoh. He grew up having all that he wanted, needing nothing, educated and privileged. One day he decides to visit the Hebrews, his brothers. And as, as he's walking through them, he saw that one of them was being wronged and he defended the oppressed man by striking down and killing the Egyptian that was creating the, uh, the problem. Moses the adopted child of the Pharaoh, a public figure, the very picture of a perfect life, the picture of what we want to become, all of a sudden now is a murderer and a criminal. And he flees from there and he runs out of Egypt fearing for justice that would come at him. And he runs into the deserts of Midian. There he lives for another 40 years. A very public individual now is finding himself in a very private situation. There's no one around him. He gets married, he has two children, and he's become a shepherd. It is in this obscurity, in this moment of nothingness, that God starts working in him. 
God works in the obscurity of the private life to develop beauty within his people. It's within our private daily lives that he develops beauty. You see, in the second 40 years of his life, that's where he experiences God. That's where he hears from God. That's where he is commissioned to go back to Egypt and draw his people out. The reason I'm giving you a glimpse of Moses' life is to simply say this. God works in the obscurity of moments that people don't see. When you seem to be farthest away from everyone else. When there's, in those moments of quiet, that's where God's working. Moses, in his first 40 years, lived a very public life in the palace. However, when he tries to lead in his public life, he fails miserably. Moses may have looked at himself and he says, based on my position, my influence, my charisma, my abilities, this is enough for me to lead. Sadly, it ends in tragedy rather than in victory. See, when you and I try to lead or live a Christian life or try to lead someone else, based on our abilities, based on our talents, based solely on our charisma, based solely on our pedigree, based solely on our wealth, based solely on our education, we are bound to fail. When we try to accomplish the Christian life, when we try to live what Christ has called us to do based only on what we display publicly, we are bound to fail. We'll come crashing down. The second 40 years of his life, Moses lives in hiding, but not from God. He lives a very private life. This is where God develops and molds him. God uses the obscurity of our private life to develop us into people he wants us to be. But what is the question I have? What is God developing? What is God accomplishing in his life? Later in Exodus, as we read the story of Moses, we hear this, we read this phrase, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with God. There is an intimate relationship you see that's developing in the, in the, the, the later part of his life. But you see, this relationship was not formed in his public life. It was not formed when he was living in the palace. It was formed when he was living in the quiet. It was formed when he was living his private life. It is in our private walk with the Lord where we experience him and understand him the most. It is through our disciplines of studying the word and praying that we get to know his heart and his will for us. It is in the private moments of our relationship where God builds that into us. In the obscurity of our private life, God develops our relationship with him. Before we can have a meaningful relationship with those around us, we need to first have a meaningful relationship with him. In the obscurity of our private life, he builds that relationship with us. Gordon MacDonald, he writes this book called Building Under the Waterline. And he has a great story in there, which I want to share with you. In June of 1872, he's writing about the Brooklyn Bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge in New York, as you may know, connects Manhattan and Brooklyn. The chief engineer in 1872, he was taking a lot of criticism because they had been given this project, and it seemed like nothing was going on. And he writes, To such of the general public that may imagine that no work has been done on the New York Tower, 
one of the towers closer to the Manhattan side, because they see no evidence about, of it above the water. I would simply remark that the amount of masonry and concrete laid on the foundation during this past winter underwater is equal to the quantity of the entire masonry of the Brooklyn Bridge visible today above the waterline. See, the architect is writing a big, bold truth. The massive profile of the Brooklyn Bridge requires it to have a foundation that would support that profile. The architects and the engineers, they took careful, they took care doing their patient work where no one could see it, underwater building the foundation. Our public lives are very much like that Brooklyn Bridge. You see, it's impressive. It's exposed to everyone, for everyone to see. But its integrity is based on the foundation it's built on. Our public life is supported and strengthened by what we do in our private. We have many talents, skills, charisma, whatever that shines brightly on the outside, but it needs a strong foundation of good character that's built on the inside. It is in the obscurity of our private life that God refines us. He builds that character. You see, Moses, when he was in his first 40 years, he was an angry man. He was entitled. He, said, he, he, he had all the qualities that would make a terrible leader. And God had to take this Moses, some assembly required, to make him the Moses who would lead his people. That takes some work. In the obscurity of his hidden life, God refines him. And in the obscurity of our hidden life, God renews us. Through the word, he transforms our thoughts to be like his thoughts. He switches our focus from what we think is important to what is important to him. See, when Moses was living in the palace, he had no idea of how justice would be carried out. He thought justice was killing a man. But God had different plans. You see, the longer we are in the hidden place with him, he refines us. We tra we're transformed to thinking like he does. As I close here, I have just one thing I want to say. As I talk about disciplines and I talk about all these things that we can do, I want to be careful in phrasing that our work doesn't get us closer to God. Our work doesn't achieve salvation. That's what he does. He has already done the hard work of bringing salvation to you and me. He is the one drawing us to him. We're simply participating in what he's doing in our lives. By doing the hard work of ordering our private life, by paying attention to what matters most, we're getting on the same page as he is. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is writing to Tim Timothy, and he says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. We're not godly because we have a private, a, 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 a private moment with the Lord. We're not godly because we read the Bible every day. But instead, it gets us to where we need to be. It's a means to godliness. Our disciplines are a means to godliness. We don't become godly just automatically. That's what he does. He creates godliness in us. Our disciplines help us participate in what God is already doing. It helps us get on the same page as, we, as he is. Our disciplines are not to make us better, but it's instead for his glory. And so today, if you have a resolution for 2017, let it be this. 
the best things you will do this year are the best things that no one, or the things that no one will see. The best thing you will do this year are the things done in your prayer closet, are the things done in your time in the Word, are the things done between you and the Lord. I'll call the worship team to come up at this point. See, Christ today invites you to a closer relationship with Him, a relationship that involves only two parties, you and Him. Your devotion to Him, it's a private affair. The private disciplines of a Christian bring us, draw us closer to Him. If you're looking to go deeper in your walk with, with God, if you're looking for a more, or if you're looking to get away from a shallow relationship, He invites you to work on the private first. You see, our disciplines get us deeper into who He is. The person that you portray in public must be informed, must be strengthened by the person you are in the private. The person in the public should be strengthened by the person in the private. You see, because what the Father sees in private, what the Father sees in secret, He will reward. So let this be a resolution for the year. The best thing you will do this year are the things you do that no one sees. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that clearly tells us that we are to pursue the private. Lord, I pray for each of us today as we start this new year. I pray this is a year with full of potential. Lord, I pray that we would take each moment. We would go after each moment, Lord, to seek, at, seek your face. To draw closer to you as you bring us to you. Lord, I pray that you would bless each person in this room. You would guide them in their private lives. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.